Hey, it's Pastor Mike. I'll keep this short because I know you want to listen to today's message. You're here because you want to continue growing in your faith, and we at Time of Grace want the exact same thing for you. Just visit us at timeofgrace.org, and you'll find a ton of resources at your fingertips, like sermons, videos, books, devotions, our blog, and of course, more podcasts. See you there. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Series with Time of Grace. That's me, Pastor Mike. Some of you are listening. Some of you are watching on video. So hello to all y'all. And as always, so excited on both audio and video. Back with us, Amber L.B. Swenson. How are you, Amber? I'm great. How are you, Pastor Mike? Um, I'm I'm a D plus today. So how do you feel? Um, I got to add before I tell you why. Um, how do you feel about us doing this video stuff and not just rocking it on the mic? Why would you ask that without any preparation? <laughs> I have a, I've, I've adjusted. Yeah. Did you notice that my screen is a little different today? It's, I'm looking a little more professional. It's looking, you're rocking it. <laughs> so we we're doing this uh, Bible reading plan at our church through the Gospel of John. Yeah. And it's actually a plan um, that I recorded on video. I think just four years ago, three, four years ago. Oh, and, no. you know, so on social media, the old, the videos from four years ago are popping up and the me that I see, like, there's oh, not no. a single gray hair. I'm not sure if there's a single wrinkle. And every time I see it, I'm like, dang, it's happening. So, I mean, with our voice, we can hide the effects of age, but on video, what do you, what do you do? Okay. Pastor Mike. So <laughs> I'm a woman. So this is way more prevalent for me. And this is what I can tell you. I have several people, our first video that we did in Appleton. Yeah, I put just a snapshot that our producer sent me and several people said, are you wearing makeup? Like, <laughs> this is anomaly. Amber, what happened? And I'm like, look, guys, I had to go find makeup that like I went around with somebody. This is new. I've never worn this. I have a suitcase now that I travel with that's makeup and hair stuff. And I'm like, so I'm walking the line between trying to be my best, best self and not taking myself seriously. So for everyone out there, this is what I used to look like all the time when we met behind the scenes. It was just, I always looked like this. I never showed up without makeup on or doing my hair ever. I got up this morning. I was mad at our producer. I'm like, I have to shave today. We're doing this video thing now. So Mike, there is no sympathy for you at all. In Appleton, you walked in the door and you're like, oh, we're going to do on camera today. I had put hours. So don't talk to me about shaving. I don't want to hear it at all. No sympathy. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone, to Behind the Series. Uh, some of you know, Amber and I love every month to talk about the sermon series coming up on Time of Grace. And uh, this month, we're going to dive into a series called Don't Miss Moments. So, Amber, I know you prepped some really good questions. We got five messages in the series. So what do you think? Yes. Should we dive in? Let's do it. What is the big idea? Where'd you come up with this? Ooh, um, to be honest, uh, this series was born out of a comment that a woman made to me many years ago who wasn't the hugest fan of my ministry. Really? Yeah. So she was a love kind of the traditions of the church and like yeah. uh, what some people call the traditional church year, you know, around mm -hmm. Christmas, we talk about this and there's this Sunday and this Sunday. And I was kind of a more of a topical, hey, let's study the book of the Bible or a certain topic. And this was really fair of her. She, you know, was a little sad about what she had lost. And she posed this question, um, Mike, 
when's the last time our church ever heard about the baptism of Jesus? Wow. Yeah. And that was really insightful. Uh, there's not a right or a wrong way to do it, but yeah, our church had gone a lot of years. And because I had kind of given up that traditional church here, we hadn't, I hadn't preached on that in many years at our church. And so this sermon series was kind of getting back to the big moments of the life of Jesus. So we kind of turned his baptism and his temptation, mm -hmm. his transfiguration, Palm Sunday, Easter into a series. So, Hey, he, here's what Jesus was all about. So that's where it came from. I love that. And thanks for taking that feedback, even if it might've been a little negative and saying, Hey, valid point. Good deal. Yeah, indeed. So the first sermon is called Jesus baptism equals my power source. And you remind us that John the Baptist was preaching on the banks of the Jordan river. So, so for Jesus baptism, he came to John the Baptist to be baptized. That's where John the Baptist comes in. Mm -hmm. And John the Baptist wasn't just baptizing people. He was calling them out. And the words you used is he was kind of savage. I mean, he didn't hold back. He was, you know, guys, you need to repent. So what do you think John the Baptist would tell American Christians today if he was alive? Hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You sent me that question a couple of days ago and I was, I've been thinking about it. Uh, I think for every culture, and I believe this is true for American Christianity, there's always something good that goes a couple steps too far. You know, I think cultural sins are very often not just some like crazy, demonic, devilish thing, but there's something good that God gives. And then you take it a bit too far and it ends up being a really bad thing for our faith. So I was trying to think of that. What are some good things or some blessings that uh, God has uniquely given to America? And a couple of things that really jumped out at me were freedom and finances. You know, freedom is a great gift to not be controlled, to not be under a dictator's boot. But then I think of, you know, the American thing of, I have absolute freedom. I have absolute autonomy. Uh, I have the right to do this. Don't tell me to submit to anyone. Don't tread on me. This is the land of the free. And so let's say in church, when the Bible's opened and the pastor tries to preach with authority and calls you out. I mean, we're not used to being called out because we're free Americans. Or you live in one of the most financially prosperous cultures ever. And yet the numerical dollars that the average American Christian will give to any charity, and I'm not trying to get money out of anyone, it is, is shocking. Shocking. We of all people should be able to tithe uniformly. And at my church, which seems to be doing well, man, the average person gives, the average person doesn't give anything. Anything. Over half of the committed members of our church, official church members, give zero dollars in a given year. So I think John the Baptist would say, come on, God has put you in America and you're, you got the cabin and the boat and you, you can't even fit your clothes in your closet and you're not going to give to yeah. the poor? You're not going to give to the poor? I mean, John says, if you have two shirts, you should share the, the extra one. We got 200 shirts, but man, don't, don't guilt me into giving my money because I'm free. So now I feel a little bit savage. I've got, I've got to take a deep breath here. But yeah, I, I think he'd have a lot to say to us today. You're right. I have for you. I just last Sunday in my teen Bible class reminded them that John the Baptist's idea of excess is more than one. Hmm. That that hurts a little yeah. bit. 
So God made a big deal about Jesus' baptism, and you went into it in the sermon. You did a wonderful job of explaining how how God made a big deal about it. And you say, you know, we should be doing the same. Hmm. And I'm guessing very few of us do. And I got to admit, I didn't know when my baptism was. So I was grumbling your name pretty provocatively as I was digging through cupboards trying to find my baptismal certificate. But anyway, why do you think that we should put a little thought into celebrating that we're baptized? Yeah, um, this was really fun. After this sermon, we had a bunch of people kind of step forward to be baptized and it was really, a, it was a really cool thing for us. Oh. Um, yeah. To, to, you know, why make a big deal out of it? My short answer would be because baptism is pure gospel. Hmm. I mean, it's not a list of things to do. God has put so many beautiful promises, like be baptized and wash your sins away. Or everyone who has been baptized into Christ is clothed with Christ or we are buried with Jesus through baptism into his death. So just as he was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we can live a new life. Uh, baptism saves you, 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Christ loved the church and made her holy uh, by the washing of water through the, you know. So it's just like, you want forgiveness? You want to be holy? You want to be clothed in Jesus? Uh, you want to be saved? God's like, here, let me give you this free gift. So, yeah, it, <laughs> and I get it. It's funny to me, like the Bible says, Hey, you're born in sin. And so when our birthday comes along, we think, Yay, let's get balloons and a cake. <laughs> hey, I was born in sin. <laughs> but the baptism part where it's like I'm I'm born again and I'm connected yeah. to Jesus, uh, it's easy to forget that. So yeah, I hope this sermon is a nudge to see what a big, beautiful deal baptism is, and then maybe to remember it a little bit more frequently than we do. And this is your heads up. So if you're like me and you don't know when your baptism is, before you listen to the sermon, just go ahead and start digging through cupboards now. <laughs> and having said that, I found mine Ooh. and it had a handwritten letter from the pastor that I had never seen, which was what? really, really cool. And just a little show and tell. Also found my catechism Bible, which I can't use anymore. It's in pieces. So um, because I are uh, my from uh my confirmation Bible. So it had the date on it. And my, and Mike, this thing is well loved. Like Hi. there is so many notes in here and I had my names from my babies picked out and didn't use one of them, but <laughs> so uh, there is no Ezekiel here, but wow. good name. So, uh, wow. no, yeah, so thank you. Hold up. Pause for a second. Hold that up again. Let let me get a good camera view of this thing. I mean, this is in pieces. I have pages. I have to. That's why I don't. I, it's in a cupboard because I can't. I can't use it anymore. It's yeah. it's well loved. There is many 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 underlines and markings and notes and prayers and like I said, my baby's names, which never came. I had no Caleb or Ezekiel's, but wow, wow. Okay, if you're if you're just listening to the podcast right now. Find this point in the show. Go on YouTube. Uh, you guys see the Bible. That's just outstanding. I, I took karate when I was in middle school. My pastor was actually a <laughs> national champion karate instructor. And mm -hmm. he used to say, um, you never want to mess with someone who has a black belt that looks like it's about to fall apart. It means they've tied it so many times it's disintegrating. And uh, I think the enemy knows you never want to mess with a Christian who has a Bible that's falling apart too. So. I'm on my third. I'm on my third Bible these days. Wow. Yes. All right. Yes. 
That's uh, we should just stop right now because this is a great episode. So thanks, Amber. I'm no, I actually want to thank you because I would not have dug through and found these things because you told me that this was so important to go mm -hmm. find the day I was baptized. And it was all in the same week. I was baptized on the 19th of May and confirmed on the 15th of May. So I'm just going to celebrate the whole week in May yes. after Mother's Day. Yes, I love it. Awesome. Sermon two, Jesus' perfection is my perfection. I guess we should say that that is dealing with Jesus' temptation. Hmm. So you started this sermon with a couple of thoughts. First of all, God is good. God is this treasure. and But he's also at the end of a tightrope and we can't get to him because you have to have complete perfection to get to him. So hmm. Jesus did that. And you said, we have to like get on his back, you know, and go across the tightrope on his back. And you were saying that, and then you're talking about Jesus in the wilderness and fasting and then facing these temptations. Like if you're on his back and he's walking across this rope and you're seeing the wilderness, like that's scary, hmm. all the things that Jesus faced. So why do you think it was significant that Satan came to Jesus after 40 days of fasting when he was in the wilderness? You went into detail, like the wilderness, there were wild animals there. It was cold. The weather, you know, it wasn't like, oh, well an oasis. He wasn't sitting under palm trees, you mm. know, in yeah. this time. Yeah. The, so the, we kind of think of wilderness as like a bunch of trees, you know, I'm out in the woods or the wilderness, but it's kind of a technical term. The Judean wilderness is the really desolate part of Israel. That's right between the Dead Sea and Jerusalem. So if you actually look on a map, I just did this on Google maps last week. If you look at the city of Jerusalem, there's all these streets and highways and buildings, and then you zoom out a little bit, and it's still, to this day, is just desolate. It's like where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's so dry, so hot, so fairly lifeless that there's there's nothing to do and there's no one to help if you're in the wilderness. And to me, that's really symbolic because it wasn't like, well, Jesus was on the top of his game yeah. And then the devil came and Jesus was on his home court and he beat the devil. But you never know, you know, if Jesus was having an off day, maybe the devil would beat him. If Jesus would be absolutely alone, hungry, facing the full like weakness and frailty of his human existence, if in the moment of his greatest weakness, he could still win against the devil, that is such confident proof that he is an undefeated savior. So it's not like he just walked the tightrope of perfection because, man, it was a good day and he woke up on the right side of bed. Like, no, it was miserable for him. And he was still so strong and so holy and so pure that if you're on the back of Jesus, there's no doubt you are getting to the other side of the tightrope and you're getting to God. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> the way you ended the sermon caught me off guard. And such, a, I actually shed a few tears. It was so beautiful the way you did this because... You almost always say, if you're taking notes right now, write this down. I'm I'm used to you saying that. Your congregation is used to you saying that. Here's your takeaways. Take this to be with you. And you said, I'm not going to do this, this this time. We're not we're not going there. I don't want you to think about what you can do. I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. Total mm. total grace. Like you mm. can't do the tightrope. But he fulfilled all righteousness, and we get to just reap the rewards. And you even said. You know, I know we're all going to stumble, right? We're still going to fall into sin. So just for today, just concentrate on Jesus did it. Just 
go there. Mm. I'm not sure that we hear that enough. I mean, honestly, when you did that, I had tears running down my face. It was just such a beautiful thing. Mm. And what, what made you end on that note? What caused you to go there? Oh yeah. So, you know, Hey, how about behind the scenes as a pastor? I'm always thinking about, you know, what do people need right now? Do they need to be challenged? Like not crushed by God's expectation, but challenged to step up, you know, to practice self-control, to make a hard decision, to be obedient. That's a biblical way of talking. Jesus did that. The apostles did that. Um, but in my theology classes back in the day, I was taught this really classic line that the law of God always accuses. Like whenever you're saying to people, do this or don't do that, there's always that that mm -hmm. remind that nudge to them, but but you don't, do you? But you're not perfect, are you? And so it's okay to end a sermon with an encouragement. Hey, you know, Jesus forgives us. Now let's honor him with our lives. Mm -hmm. But in the process, you know, the devil can still weasel his way in there and see, they're going to say, you know, like you, uh, you're not going to be able to do this, are you? Mm -hmm. And you can leave with the weight sometimes of even your own obedience. So I think there is, there should be sometimes, if not a lot of times when we just say, okay, yeah, we're going to do the best we can, but let, let the gospel get the final word. Grace is going to win at the end of the day. Your sins might be many. His mercy is always going to be more because Jesus was perfect in his obedience to God. I think the power in that is that, I, I, I mean, I think most people are, I don't think I'm a whole lot different than most people, but in the temptations, you see yourself, right? Hmm. You know, when Jesus is tempted, you see yourself and you see how Satan works on you and offers you this to go that way and stuff. And and to just remember to just the whole sermon, you're kind of thinking, oh yeah, I've been tempted like that, or I have been tempted. So to actually flip that and say, now look, Jesus did it. Uh, that was that was a great way to end that. Yeah. Well done. Thanks. Sermon number three, Jesus shining brightly is my rock, and that's on the Transfiguration. Which again, it's um, it's refreshing the way you did this. I think of this as the hills and valleys sermon. You remember this? I do. That was oh incredible. I asked Nia yesterday because Who's I. Nia? Oh, I'm sorry. Our producer. Yes, I saw okay. her yesterday and I said, who is it that was singing it? Because I didn't recognize. I knew it wasn't Jonathan, the other worship leader that I had seen. And yeah. she said, yeah, that's Jared. I said, that was phenomenal. That that song in the middle of the sermon was just so great. So I guess I should explain. Hills and Valleys is a song by Torn Wells. Mm -hmm. And you put it in this um, because the idea was the the sermon was on the transfiguration and Jesus was up high on this mountain, but he was going down to suffer mm -hmm. and die. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we all know that we live in a sinful world and for some reason we want to live in the highs, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, it takes us off guard every time we go down and maybe I shouldn't say all of us, but me, a lot of times, you know, you know that things are going to come, mm -hmm. but yet somehow it does, you know, if you have relationship problems or all of a sudden there's financial problems or something so often they take us off guard. So why does the death, the diagnosis, the relationship, why does that keep taking us off guard when we know we're in a sinful world? Hmm. Yeah. Why are we surprised by suffering is the essence yeah. of the question. Yeah. Um, I have three answers to that question. Uh, number one, America, number two, science, and number three, your soul. Okay, explain. Yeah. So in America, compared to a lot of other places on earth, we're pretty sheltered from frequent tragedy. Um, 
if I was living in Syria right now or Eastern Ukraine, I might not be shocked that there was bad news. But when you're really insulated from lots of that, when it's been a fairly prosperous time and you know maybe you're the world superpower who doesn't get attacked, at least not recently, um, you can forget, oh yeah, um, every single day atrocities happen. I just don't see them. And then you combine that with science. So, you know, we have a hospital system and hospice care and nursing homes and pain medication. It's all a blessing. But because of that, people aren't dying in our homes like they did for most of human history. So we don't see it, right? We, someone gets checked in, they're put on pain medications to die peacefully, but we, we just forget, oh yeah, every single day in my city, there are people in inexplicable pain and they're going to die today but it's out of sight, out of mind. And then you combine that, I think, with a really good theological point that God didn't make us for suffering. Uh, in the beginning, there was no pain and no death. And so part of our soul is still shocked by it. death is an enemy to us, not a comfortable friend. And so I think you put that all together, a modern world, a fairly safe American culture compared globally, and this deep desire, like, yeah, we. when it just hits us in the face, it's like, wow. I didn't think that would happen. And so the Bible just adjusts our expectations like, yeah, the, this creation is in bondage to decay, Romans chapter 8 says. So you can't escape it. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're going to die. You're going to suffer. In this world, you will have troubles, Jesus said, John 16, verse 33. So we have to make sure we have biblical expectations and not modern American expectations. Uh, yeah. So Transfiguration Sunday happens once every church year. So that's about the time that we talk about it. And so if we don't talk about it that often, and yet you make a point that his trans transfiguration can kind of get us through the depths. What about Jesus' transfiguration can be carried with us as we go into those painful or not what we expected times? Yeah. So just in case you're listening and you're not familiar, the Transfiguration is where Jesus takes his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. He goes up on this mountain uh, in Israel, and he almost like pulls back the veil so that they can see his glory. And he's shining like the sun, and what Moses and Elijah show up. And it's actually so powerful and beautiful that Peter says, Lord, it, it's so good that we're here. Can we put up some tents and camp up here for a while? This is so much better than like down with all the madness and the Pharisees and the people who need us. Um, that's such a powerful metaphor for me that if you could actually see the full glory of Jesus, um, it would be so good. It would be so good that all your heart would say is, I just want to stay here. Um, so it's like the past in the Bible, we see this you know glorious God who died for us someday in heaven. We're going to see that glorious God face to face. And then we're kind of in this valley in the middle yeah. somewhere, you know? And so to know that the same glorious Jesus that Peter saw is the one that we are going to see his face. That's what Revelation, I think, 21 or 22 verse 4 says. Like, it's going to be so good that whatever you're going through right now, however hard life is right now, you might be on your third divorce or your second round of chemo. You might be lonely or battling mental health issues, but it is what is coming for you through the name of Jesus is so profoundly good uh, well, how did Paul put it? It's not even worth comparing yeah. the pain of today compared to the glory of tomorrow. So it's just this little glimpse, like, wow, don't forget, don't forget how glorious and good Jesus is. It's going to be worth it. It's going to turn out okay. 
and Peter saw the proof. Yeah. And you had mentioned that Peter said, you know, let's just stay here. Mm. And, um, but Jesus, we're told resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he yeah. not only knew he was going there, but he was like on, on par. This is where I'm going. You're not changing my mind. He even told say, uh, Peter, get behind me when he suggested he not. We know that the highs aren't going to last, mm. but we tend to hold on to our glory moments, right? We put the trophies on the shelf. We mm. have the pictures of the best times. And I was reading through the Beatitudes and it seems like so often the crises, the hard times, even the really low spiritual lows when you're kind of in that wilderness, mm. they're the things that impact us the most, sort of change us the most, prune us the most, mm. get us where we need to be. Mm. So why, if that's the case, are we not looking at it as not only enduring our valleys, but embracing them, knowing mm. that God is God and he's not taken off guard? What's the mind shift that we kind of need to do to get there? Mm. Yeah. So you're asking me, like, how do you embrace the valleys, the pain, the suffering instead of like running from it at all costs? And just keeping the trophies in front, you know, like we want to live in the glory days, right? Yeah. That's what we want. We all do. We all want to live in the glory days. And when we're in the valleys, we're like, I'm not embracing this. I'm yeah. enduring this. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only way to do that is not just to believe in God, but to believe God. So if God has said in all things, I'm working for the good. Yeah. Um, if God says in what Genesis 50, 20, you meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. If it's true, Ephesians 1, that all things are underneath the feet of Jesus and he rules them for the good of his church. If it's true, 2 Corinthians 12, that in our weakness, his power is displayed. Like if you actually believe those things, and they're very hard to believe, um, you have to walk by faith instead of by sight. You have to actually believe God is the kind of God who cannot break those promises that he made. Um, then, even though it's painful and there's a spot for weeping, I don't want to imply like, hey, just be happy. God's going to work it for good. You you miscarried. Hey, I wonder. Like, no, there is a time to mourn this broken world, but there's just this stubborn, beautiful, joyful faith that says, my God cannot lie to me. And so somehow, I can't see it yet, somehow he's going to use this for good in everything he's working for the good of his church. So I would say just believe God, not just in him, believe him when he said that it has to be true even for you. So when you talked about not weeping, um, I was just talking to a friend Sunday night and I was saying what comfort I have in Joseph because he went through a lot of trauma and 13 years later, even though he could say, you brought it up, you intended to harm me, but God worked it for, for good. Mm. He sobbed so much that mm. Pharaoh's household heard about it wow. and the whole thorn for the apostle Paul, right? Mm. God said, I'm not going to take it away. Mm -hmm. And so for those who are struggling maybe and have a pain that they've tried to work through and they haven't had that resolution, sometimes God keeps it there mm. to use it. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think when you say, we're not saying don't weep, I'm validating that. <laughs> like mm. yes. if, if the pain is still there, I go back to what Pastor Shupi told me two years ago. Someone's going to have it, Satan or God. Mm. 
Hmm. Like if the pain is still there, then just keep praying. God, use it. You promise, you know, you will use it for good. Yes. So if you choose not to take the pain away, if for whatever reason hmm. I still feel the pain, just use it for good and remind me to tell Satan to shut up and yeah. get on with life. Yeah. Do you know, do you know who Daniel Tiger is? No, mm -mm. <laughs> when my girls were little, there was this, uh, I think it comes out of Mr. Rogers. There's a Daniel Tiger like cartoon show and they'd have these unbelievably catchy little songs that teach kids life lessons. Like I'm sad and, and I'm joyful because God's going to work this out. And I'm brokenhearted because the marriage ended or the cancer's back. Yeah. And, and yet I'm, I'm so grateful right now because God made a promise that he can't break. I'm going to feel both those feelings at the same time. I'm not going to have to pick between one or the yeah. other. And that's really, the, I think, the reality and yet the hope of the Christian faith. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I want to bring out, you used one Bible passage after another. And without saying it, what you were really saying is be grounded in the word. I mean, to get through the valleys, right? Mm -hmm. um, Christian friends, be grounding in the, grounded in the word. That's where you're going to keep running across these promises. That's That's where we keep getting our hope. Yeah. Amen. Um, the fourth sermon. I started laughing when you brought up that song, because I don't know if you remember how you started the fourth sermon on Jesus Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus victory, my victory. You talked about three songs that are three. Was it three songs at your house? But one was um, it's about getting what you can't always get what you want <laughs> yeah. that you sang to your kids. Yes. <laughs> and all I could think of is, oh, that's going to be a good therapy bell. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But um, and this was reminding me the Palm Sunday. So Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the people put their cloaks down. It was great how you described it. Put palm branches down. You described why they did that too. It'll all be explained in the sermon. But just a few days later, they were screaming for Jesus to be crucified. And I, I had to just pause for a minute and think, it's really easy to be swayed, right? I mean, when we're watching the news or listening to something, we can, I mean, we're not any different than them. Mm. One day they're praising, the next day they're crying for his condemnation. Yeah. So how do we make sure that the right things are shaping our perspective? Yeah. Yeah, it's no joke um, to love God when life gets hard. You know, when Jesus came riding in as the king and the crowds assumed, wow, he's going to kick the Romans out and life's going to be easier. We're not going to have to pay taxes. They loved him. And then when it didn't quite pan out that way, uh, they cried for his death. Um, this might seem kind of subtle and philosophical, but to me, there's a huge difference between using the good things in life to love God hmm. and loving God because of the good things. If I only love God because he's given me this easy, comfortable life, and if he takes it away, then I'm going to turn on him. Well, the book of Job kind of makes that point. Then maybe it's not real love. Yeah, you know, Maybe you're just using God like a divine vending machine to get the life you want. So I think the way that we get through this is just to remember, God, if you give or you take away, you're good. If, if, you, if you lower the taxes and kick out the Romans and give me my freedom— or if a government puts its boot on my neck and I can't escape it until I get to heaven, you're still good. Um, to love God, the hills and the valleys once again, the pain and the pleasure, 
I mean, to me, that's the purest, most genuine kind of faith where God, however this day goes, I'm still going to worship you at the end of it. You don't become worthy because I had three meals and money in my bank account and a perfect family. Like you're God. <laughs> so please, I'd, I'd prefer the, I'd prefer the blessings to remind me of your goodness. But even if you take them away, um, that's an easy thing to say when life's going well, but it takes a lot of faith to believe when it's not. So I have to bring up how we started this then. That's how you're going to get through watching your videos from four years ago. <sighs> even if you've got gray hair, even if you got wrinkles, Pastor Mike, God is still good. Gosh, don't, don't, why, why, you're not supposed to apply You said it. You brought it up. No, 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 no. You're not putting that on me. I'm repeating your words. Nope. Uh-uh. Nope. Nia, play back. Roll the tape. Just kidding. You know, you know, Amber, some people are intimidated because I'm the pastor, but you are not. And so no, you, you, just make, you make me eat my own meals that I prepare. So thank you for that. I have described our relationship as brother and sister, and you are my little brother. So I have no problem calling you out or doing anything that I would do to my siblings. So sorry about that. Man, all right. Uh, so one of the big ideas that came from this sermon, you brought up your counseling. You brought this up. You said Kim allowed you to talk about this. You had her permission that you went to counseling and all you wanted the counselor to say is, Kim, Mike's right. <laughs> that That's not what happened. So I know I paid all that money. And honestly, what a well, terrible so counselor. <laughs> one of your big ideas was that we shouldn't keep assuming the problems out there, right? Mm -hmm. That we keep thinking if we have a different president or if we have different judges or different laws, or if the taxes were lower, or if healthcare, oh, the healthcare situation is such a disaster right now. Mm -hmm. But you said in reality, what we should all be doing is looking at ourselves. So my question to you was, how do we teach everybody else to do that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> how Good do Lord. I make my husband look at himself, Pastor Mike? I'm just, just wondering, how do I teach Steve that he is really the problem? That's what you were getting at, right? Just forward him a bunch of links. Say, you really need to listen to this one. <laughs> yes. Oh, and then man. we will be in for counseling. What day do you have available for counseling? <laughs> you get that speck out of Steve's eye. It's, it's real. All right. Let me rephrase the question. How do we remember? Because you know what I was thinking? Speaking of using your words against you, hmm. the words that you, you often use, the t-shirts you have is you first, right? Hmm. But in this case, we have to be me first. Yes. In this case, we almost have to have the t-shirt that says me first. Let me look at my heart, my motives, what I'm doing first. Yes. What, how, where do we start with this? Yeah. Yeah. One of the first and best uses of the law of God is as a mirror. And if we don't regularly reflect on our own lives yeah. with God's clear law in front of us, uh, I think that mirror is going to get foggy. We're going to think too much of ourselves and we're not going to see ourselves clearly and instead, we're going to think the main problems are with other people. So to me, the best way to fix this is to be very, very aware of my own sinfulness. Um, Pharisees pray, God, I thank you. I'm not like those people. But Christians start to stare really intently at the law of God and realize, dang, like I haven't moved past my own sinfulness. In fact, the more I mature and understand the word, the more I see that there are just layers here that I didn't get when I was 14, right? And that's that's hard, but it's humbling, and it really keeps you from being a Christian jerk. 
And we need less Christian jerks. So that's a good idea. Jerks for Jesus. And I'm speaking for myself now because I'm looking at me first. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's just the law of God. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, when he wrote his small catechism, he had a little uh, thing called the table of duties, which is, hey, if you're a parent, if you're a kid, if you're a citizen, if you're a governor, if you're a pastor, if you're a church member, and he just kind of, every time I read that really short summary, it's it's pretty humbling. Like, okay, okay, there it is. I got, <laughs> I, got I got some talking to do with Jesus and some things to fix. And it just kind of takes the air out of that arrogant balloon. And instead of pointing a finger at you, I got to, I got to spend some time with me first. That's been probably the biggest blessing of me reading the Bible slowly and journaling it is that as I do the, go through the verses and I'm asking God, how am I not doing this mm. and help me to do this better? Mm. It's a self-examination versus yeah. just reading the Bible and closing it and going on with life so that yeah. it doesn't penetrate your heart. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Jesus empty grave is my immortality. Hmm. Uh, I think it was the way that you read this because for the first time ever, I was on my way to work, full disclosure. I was listening to the sermon, so I wasn't watching it. And you, you were reading about how the women went to the empty tomb and then they come and they report back to the men. And then you said, but the men did not believe them because it sounded like nonsense. And in my head, I went, of course they didn't believe them. Mm. And then you said, you ever had a man mansplain? <laughs> and then I was like, oh no, goodbye Easter. Here I go. I'm down a tunnel. Draw me back, Pastor Mike, because I might be here for a while. <laughs> but the beautiful thing. Mm. So I guess we should describe what mansplaining is. Somebody mm. is listening and they're saying, I have no idea what mansplaining is. So what mm. what what is mansplaining? Because um, I've never experienced it, so I cannot. Tell you. <laughs> I, I have questions about this for you, actually. Um, it, my understanding of it is when a man in a derogatory, demeaning way just assumes that he's smart because he's a man and all the women in the room aren't intelligent enough to pick this up. So he's going to have to explain it to them. Mm -hmm. So an assumption maybe of superior intelligence. That's how I would define mansplaining. Do you think it would have some, like, for instance, if um, a man came on a Zoom call with two women and complained about shaving <laughs> when they know what the woman went through, no, would that qualify? That's not mansplaining. No, that's not no, at no, all. No, bad, okay. bad example. So let's move okay. on. Okay. So, <laughs> easy. <laughs> Just wondering. <laughs> Okay, we cleared that up. That was, you were supposed to feel bad for me. That was a chance for you to be Oh, for your shaving. How long did that take you exactly? I plucked my eyebrows today. That took about 20 minutes. Have you done that? Okay. Sorry, I'm losing the connection here, Amber. It's uh, <laughs> must be the, the internet here at church. <laughs> okay, so what I did want to talk to you about, though, mm. is that Jesus' view of women, for any woman, in Jesus' day or today or anywhere in any society, Jesus had a different view of women. He appeared to Mary in the garden. One of the first people he, I don't know, did he appear to Jesus or Peter first or to Mary? Mary first. Mary first. Mary was one of the first ones to understand what was going on. The disciples were still clueless. Yeah. And God made sure that we knew that. He, God made sure that that was put in the Bible. Mm. Jesus, he appeared to the Samaritan woman. He, I mean, he went to see her. 
He didn't overlook her. The woman who was caught in adultery, they only brought the woman. They didn't bring the man. Mm. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Mm. Go and sin no more. And he he dispersed the crowd. Mm. So Jesus had a different view of woman, women. He didn't blow them off. Mm. How, what, what, how did he treat women that was so different? Yeah, uh, because he was the same God who was present in Genesis 1. Then God made people in his image, male and female. He created them in his image. There was not the man's in the image of God and the woman is this secondary, you know. From the beginning, God's creation gave an equality to male and female. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So this idea that women have an equal place in the kingdom, they are, yes, equally sinful. Let's not swing to that American extreme, right? Men are the problem. Um, <laughs> no, we both are. But Jesus gave his solution of forgiveness and new identity and a spot in the family to sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters of equal level under our Heavenly Father. And uh, the examples you gave are just so perfect. Um, there's lots of sexism in our day in America, but man, 2,000 years ago, times a thousand. Mm-hmm, for there, sure. There were Jews who woke up and literally, you can find this, they prayed, I thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile and I'm not a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, yep. that that was how they viewed God and spirituality. So for Jesus to come along in that culture and say, woman, you have great faith. <laughs> the rest of y'all got some issues. You better, <laughs> you better repent before it's too late. But woman, you have great faith. Um, to let Mary sit at his feet and say, just by being by me, you have chosen what's better. And then there at the empty tomb, that's probably the best proof, right? Maybe biggest day in human history. And Jesus calls the first witness and she is a woman and not a man. So, wow, God's love for the world is true. And I have to compliment you. I've told many people this as I've talked to women, women's groups. At, and I, I think I told you back in October, but um, I've complimented you many times. I remember one of the first times I interviewed you, you turned the question around. You said, that's what I think. What do you think, Gamber? I about fell off my chair. I was like, who cares what I think? What do you, you care? I mean, you are very gracious that way in terms of um, haven't been to the seminary, haven't read all the books, but you are very gracious in terms of you don't do a lot of mansplaining. So just because I picked on you before. I, I don't, I want to make sure people understand you are very gracious. So oh, that's kind of you to say, I feel like I got a lot of ways to go, but I appreciate that. I will say one other thing very, very quickly. Yeah. CL Whiteside. We both love CL. Yes. And he, last year he did his um, sex podcast okay. and I just texted him. I'm like, great, great series. You had done sex expectations. I, you know, great. And CL's like, so when are you going to do, you know, a series on sex, Amber? I'm like, <laughs> you never, never. Yeah, women, really women don't really want to hear that. <laughs> do you want to know what women do on us? <laughs> would you like to know what women would like a series on? See how? Because I guarantee you, he said, just talk about what you guys talk about when you get together. Yeah, we don't talk about sex. <laughs> Mansplaining comes up now and then. Oh, all right. Yeah, I think you just publicly committed yourself to a podcast on mansplaining. Well. I may have to work on that for a little bit. We'll we'll make sure my heart is right before the Lord. Deal. 
Like anyway, it. last question. I imagine mm -hmm. that you had you had mentioned your whole Easter sermon really broke it down into two things, two reasons why people might not put as much time into Easter as they should. Hmm. Thinking, hey, this is crazy. Like hmm. you're talking about a guy who is dead and now he's not dead anymore. That's just crazy. Hmm. Or, hey, I'm busy, like spring sports and I've got a graduation coming up or a wedding or like I was gonna celebrate. And you mentioned, you know, nobody's caught off guard by Christmas, hmm. but Easter, not so much. And you hmm. would even... Maybe called out some people. If you put in more time to hiding the Easter baskets hmm. than talking about Jesus' resurrection, maybe you're too busy. Hmm. And I'm guessing that when people stand before the throne of God, these are two things that they, I don't know if I should say that. I don't know if it's biblical to say that we get a chance to talk before the throne of God. But I would hmm. imagine two things that come up very often is I thought that sounded crazy hmm. or I was going to get around to a relationship with you. I just never did. So how do we avoid those two extremes, those two traps? Mm. Yeah, I had a coffee with a woman this past week who um, she she called herself a Christian, but then the way she would talk about her faith just made me think, wow, that's not really Christianity. And she said, I'm this Lord and Savior stuff. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. And I'm not sure if there's a heaven. And you know, trying to read her, she didn't seem to be super interested, but um, she thought of herself as a very open-minded person who loved to learn new things. And so the question I asked her was, do you know why people like me believe what we believe? It's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, I'm aware there's a lot of religions out there. I, I too have studied and I've read the Quran from cover to cover. Do you know why at the end of the day, I'm, I actually believe the Bible is the word of God and that Jesus is the Lord and Savior? Like, I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm not the dumbest. Do you know what, why I believe that? And she had to say, oh, I guess not. So like, yeah, do, do you know any of the like traditional defenses of the resurrection of Jesus? Why it might be miraculous, but we don't think it's illogical or crazy. In fact, it might be the most logical explanation for what happened 2000 years ago. Um, so yeah, I'm just exploring that a little bit of, if you say it sounds crazy because it doesn't sound like natural, I would totally agree. Like, yep, people coming back from the dead, conquering death. That is not what happens every Tuesday. <laughs> no, it's <Right>. Thursdays. <laughs> Indeed. But like if you if you dig into this and there's some really good resources online, look up like the, the case for the resurrection yeah. or uh, a field called apologetics, which means like the defeat traditional defense of the Christian faith. Um, I think that's a really good place to start. Um, yeah, it's cr crazy, but it's true. And here's some really good proof to back it up. Um, yeah, the busy stuff, man. So common. And I'm trying to give like a simple solution for good advice. If, if eternity is really eternity, yes. and if Jesus conquered death to give eternal life, if I reflect on that for just a second, like my sporting career is less than a half of a blink of an eye on the timeline of eternity or my my yard or my garden or my, my <laughs> Instagram page. Like if we step back enough to say this life is not all that there is and that Jesus is offering us something so much better, I, maybe that's a little nudge to help us reprioritize spiritual and eternal things. Um, 
But once again, that does really take the Holy Spirit opening your eyes through the Word of God to convince you of what things are real and what things are true. And having good Christians around you. I think that's something that you do really well. You you mentioned many times busyness, you know, in your book, um, you know, about the sower. You know, we we can choke our faith out by putting too much around it. And it's so important that we leave room to let that relationship with God grow. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So a bunch of don't miss moments, huh? Oh, it was excellent. As always. Baptism, temptation, transfiguration, Palm Sunday. Uh, so we hope all of you can uh, listen to this sermon series, which culminates in a pretty big day for we believers of Jesus, uh, his sure. resurrection from the dead. So um, if you're listening, you know that every month we at Time of Grace love to put out a resource to help you grow in your faith. Um, Amber, I wasn't counting, but you probably brought up the importance of the word three, if not four, if not six times in this conversation. And so I'm really excited. Uh, my friend Ben Sadler, who I just saw three days ago at a church conference, Nice. He has written a really great book called Jesus Knows, which is a journey through the Gospels. So if you really want to get to know Jesus, if you're new to Jesus, or just want to dig in deep to these don't miss moments, make sure you go to timeofgrace.org and you can find Ben Sadler's great book called Jesus Knows. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us for another fun conversation. Uh, I hope that whether it was a little thing or some big thing, uh, we gave you something to think about and encourage you to check out this series so you can learn more about the most important thing our Savior Jesus. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll catch you next time. God bless.